Welcome to episode 13 of the Helpful Huddle podcast. Thank you so much for listening in today. In our episode today, I get the opportunity to interview Elise Skunkwitz, someone that was introduced to me by our episode two guest, Alina Kaner. You are in for a treat as we dive into Elise's story and how she is helping others. So turn up your volumes, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Helpful Huddle podcast. I am your host, Luke, and I'm sitting here with a new friend, Elise Shunkowitz. I believe I pronounced that correctly, but say hi to the people, Elise, and correct me if I was wrong. No, you got it. Thank you so much, Luke. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to this one. Short backstory, because there's not much to our history together besides some emails going back and forth. But if anybody listened to my my second episode, interviewed Alina Canner, and she made this connection. Mm-hmm. And Alina's an amazing person. She connected me with another amazing person. So I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, she is an amazing, incredible network of of people and and friends. Is incredible friend herself. So thank you, Alina, for uh, connecting the two of us to do this. For sure. Yeah, let's do it. And- I, I think we should just jump right in. How do you feel? Awesome. I'm ready to go. Let's go. So I always like starting out these interviews broad um, and just learning your story and kind of like your why and how you, why you're, or how you got to this point, both personally and professionally. So I'm just going to give the floor to you. Like, tell me the things. Yeah. Okay. So like you said, my name is Elise Shunkwitz. I am a licensed clinical social worker uh, with a profession that is basically I'm an interactive and holistic therapist. Similarly to you, I have a background in personal training and I also am a functional neurology practitioner. So what I do is I address healing and performance enhancement through a full mind-body-brain lens, really taking into consideration the idea that we can't talk ourselves out of a dysregulated nervous system, right? I think that talk therapy has really – it has so many benefits to it, but a lot of times it fails a lot of people because we're not working with the brain and the body. And what I do is help people make sure that their brain and body is supporting their mental and emotional goals. Interesting. Now, that's super interesting, and it makes me think of – because. We'll we'll get to the point where we talk about like your website and everything, but you put on your website that you're like a brain based personal trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, how does how does that tie into what you're talking about, like the mind and body? Yeah, focus, so I, guess. I like to think of the brain as the hardware, the nervous system. Right? You have your brain, you have your spinal cord, you have your peripheral ner- nerves, everything that's happening in your body. To, to function, to move, to breathe. And then you have your mind, which is a little bit more of like the software. It's the interpretation of what's happening in the world. And if the brain and nervous system are not working well, for example, if you are not breathing well, if your eyes don't move well, if your vestibular system or your sense of balance isn't working well, our understanding of the world is not really clear. Our brain is taking in information. This is how the brain works. We have inputs, we process those inputs, we make a decision, and then we have an output. And we are receiving inputs all day, every day, through all of our senses, through our visual system, through our vestibular system, through receptors on our skin that tell us if something is hot or cold or sharp or dull. And we are taking in all that information, our brain is interpreting it, understanding it better, and basically saying to itself, is this safe or is it not safe, right? If something really hot touches my skin, is this safe or is it dangerous? And then I have an output. And in that kind of situation, you hope the output is that you remove yourself from whatever the hot thing is that is touching you. So when our nervous system isn't working well, that input processing output cycle that happens all day, every day is not it's not really, it's telling our nervous system we're not safe, right? If I can't move my eyes well, if I can't breathe well, the body goes into survival mode. And the brain's number one job is survival. That's all it cares about. And it survives by pattern recognition or prediction. Can I predict what's coming next? Or do I not know what's about to happen? I need to kind of, you know, start to really make plans for safety. 
So if we are interacting with the world and we're moving through the world in a way that our body feels safe, that it can process information well, the nervous system can chill out a bit, it can feel good, and hopefully our mind feels clear, right? We're not, we're not obsessing over things, we're not anxious, we're not depressed, we're not having really bad attention issues. But if the brain is not working well, if that system isn't, isn't functioning optimally, it can, in some cases, result in increased anxiety, depression, uh, ADHD, OCD, things like that. That's not always the only reason for those issues, but it can be one of those one of the reasons. So when I work with the brain and the mind, I'm talking about is your nervous system working well, but also what can we do about your mindset and your emotional state and bring all of those things together to really get the biggest bang for your buck when it comes to healing. Wow. No, that's that's super interesting. I've never heard it put like that. Um, and it's super, it's super interesting. And I want to unpack it. But I want to first back up just for a second. And I want to know, like, how did you get into all of this? Like, like yes, this so doesn't just I, happen. Something it, happened. It doesn't just happen. That's totally true. And I think that if you talk to anyone, in the holistic healing world or the functional medicine world, Mm-hmm. almost all of us have had our own experiences in the more conventional system. So I kind of had two parallel worlds happening at the same time that brought me to this place. So as a teenager, I was very depressed. I was very anxious. I struggled with a lot of different issues. And I was put on a lot of medication at a very young age, like 13, 14, 15. And we're talking I think I was on almost every antidepressant that was on the market at the time because I had such bad side effects from each one. I was on Xanax for over 15 years as daily use, which is, you know, not a very common thing. And it's definitely far from ideal. It's, you know, Xanax is supposed to be an as needed, a PRN medication. I, at one point I was on stimulants on top of that, sleep medications, even like a daily allergy pill and birth control. So Fast forward to me being in my late 20s after graduate school for social work, I started working at Bellevue Hospital, which is the flagship for the New York City public hospital system. And it's pretty world-renowned as a facility, and it's also the training hospital for NYU medical residents and students and all the hospital, the, the doctor staff are NYU doctors. But we basically get the toughest cases. Like we, we we are the dumping grounds for NYPD and EMS. So we're talking some of the most mentally ill, dangerous people in New York City. I was treating in the hospital, uh, in the psychiatric emergency room and the inpatient psych unit and mobile crisis unit. So I was working in this facility, seeing the system, realizing that it's very broken. Like we really only treat patients mostly via medication management. They're not really getting any movement. They're not getting much sunlight. And the food is so bad. Like it is worse than like 90s airplane food. Uh, And at the same time, I was on all these medications. I'd be going to the pharmacy, picking up the meds. And I like, I felt like I had more medications than a grandma, you know, and the the pharmacist knew me. And it was just kind of like almost like I was like, this is not how I want to live my life. Like I'm still not happy. I'm still anxious. I still don't feel good, but I'm taking all these drugs. And I was really burnt out at Bellevue so early on because it is such an intense place to work and it's understaffed and you have way too many patients in your caseload than you even should have. And through a series of events, I started personal training at my local gym. I, you know, as a side gig while I was also working at Bellevue full time. And I came across something called Z Health, which is a program out in Arizona run by Dr. Eric Cobb. And it's a whole curriculum in functional neuroscience. It's actually originally geared towards training personal trainers. Now, people of all disciplines and health professions study with him worldwide. Started uh, learning functional neuroscience. I worked with a few of my own holistic healing coaches after years and years of just being in the conventional therapy and psychiatry system and nothing really working for me. And Surely enough, I got off almost all the medications. And I was like, wow, I need to do something about this. Like I need to study all these different things so I can eventually, once I'm able to get my clinical license and go into independent private practice, I can merge everything together and really create a system to help people make change. You know, and like I said earlier on, I think that talk therapy can be so amazing, but I think there's also a lot missing from it. And I'm 
really trying to fill the gaps for people and figure out how do we heal from the root? How do we get your brain and body to support your your mind and your emotional goals? And a lot of times I always tell people I need to ground you in the basics. If you're not eating well, moving well, sleeping well, breathing well, if you're not getting sunlight, if your relationships aren't good, I'm fighting an uphill battle when it comes to your mental, you know, your mental health concerns. So I work with people to just start there. Like we we get people grounded in the basics and without even really doing the emotional psychology work yet, we already see improvements in what they came to address, you sure. know, whether it be ADHD, OCD, anxiety, depression, whatever. So, yeah. That's amazing. And I love that you it seems like you took something that you're truly passionate about and love doing and combined it with real life experience that kind of, it's kind of like the question when people, people are like, if you could go back and tell yourself something like from look now to like your 10 year old self or whatever, what would you do? And it sounds like that kind of situation of like, Hey, this isn't the only way out or you were 13 or 14, a lot of medications. This isn't the only way mm -hmm. and you're going to help a ton of people in the future. Um, I, not, I don't know. I just think the story is amazing and I love hearing it. And thank, thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I mean, it's, a, I feel like I love being able to share my story because I want people to know that there is hope, whether they work with me or other functional medicine practitioners or holistic practitioners. They're, you know, the system has made it out that when you are in the conventional therapy world and psychiatry world, that you're broken and there's something about you that needs to be fixed. And the reality is, is that no one's broken. You know, we, we, some of us do engage in quote unquote maladaptive behaviors or we engage in habits that really don't feel like they're serving us or aren't aligned with our long-term goals or our values. But the thing is that the nervous system, it takes care of us. Like those, those habits and those uh, behaviors at the time, they are serving a purpose. They are there to help us stay safe even though we may not want to be engaging in them. So, you know, we, we need to recognize that that the brain and body, it is, it is working to our benefit, but sometimes we just need a little help to change things up. Uh, and it's not that people are broken. We just, we just need to help the body feel a little bit safer. I love that. And I was interviewing someone else earlier on. She was talking about like how important it is to feel safe. Mm -hmm. So it's awesome to see that like that, it's awesome just to see that multiple people are coming kind of to the same, not the same conclusion, getting there different ways, but how important that it truly is and how the ner nervous system is so important. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I want to now switch gears back to like the work you're doing and mm -hmm. understanding it a little bit more. And you, and I think it was like the very first minute you were talking about like functional, functional neurology. Yes. Like, what does that mean? I guess because I have this is the first I'm hearing of stuff, something like that, what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So functional neurology, functional neuroscience is it's different than neur than neurologists or neuroscience in the way that we have thought about it in conventional medicine world, like brain scans and, and things like that. It's more about, like I said earlier, the inputs, the processing interpreting those inputs and the output. So it's making sure that the body and the brain are working properly. And we don't use scans as much as we actually look to see, you know, what are your breathing patterns looking like? How well do your eyes move? Um, what do we do if we put a pair of colored glasses on you that are green? Does your body respond well or do they actually not like it? Uh, what's going on with scar tissue in your body and is it actually creating a more of a threat in your nervous system and creating more of an increase in pain? So it's more hands-on and like that's really where the applied neuroscience terminology comes or the functional neuroscience is that it's more practical and hands-on rather than going to a doctor, which also very much has its place and maybe getting a brain scan or if you need medication for certain neurological issues. Uh, so it's more like a tactile, actually physically moving things around and changing things around in the nervous system. And what's really cool is that it's both a pain reduction system and a performance enhancement system. So we can reduce pain in the body by making sure the nervous system feels safe because if the brain feels safe, 
it's able to relax and usually muscle tension will go away or it will reduce. The, the body will become more flexible and pain will generally decrease overall. Uh, but it's also a performance enhancement system in the sense that if your nervous system is in line and everything is working together, you're going to be able to function better in the world. And that's why this system is being used by professional athletes worldwide. It's it's very popular in Germany. Uh, there's wow. like uh, the coach for the German Olympic sprinting team has he sits in class with me like he's a peer of mine. Oh, wow. And yeah, so if you look up neuroathletic training, especially in Germany or England, you will see it's the same the same system that I'm studying. Interesting. Neuroathletic training. Yeah. That's re that's really cool. And it's awesome that it's also getting out there. Like it's not just you trying to do it. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm very grateful to all of the people I've studied with and uh, especially Dr. Cobb who created the system. And it's one of the things I study. It's something I dedicated – really like five years to diving deep into. And now I'm, mm. I still integrate it and study it, but now I'm moving on to other, other studies and things like that to integrate into my practice. Cause I think that there's no, you know, there's a lot of amazing programs out there to study holistic health, but I don't believe there's really a end all be all program. I think it's really about, for me, it's like about spending my life just learning all different systems and, and modalities in order to have a really wide and deep toolkit. So when someone comes to me, uh, you know, I have a lot of options to work with them because not everything works for everybody. Everyone's nervous system right. is so unique. So everyone knows when they work with me, it's the farthest thing from a one-size-fits-all plan. It's very, very individualized and personalized. I love that. And that actually leads to a question I was thinking of was someone someone comes to you for the first time, mm -hmm. what, like, how are you getting to know them to develop this plan of action? Because you do have, like you were talking about so many tools and modalities to pull from. Yeah. Like, what are you kind of looking for? And what helps you get led in the right direction? So I always do, I kind of do a conventional psychotherapy intake, just to get their background. But unlike other therapists, I'm really interested in medical back like history too. Like, okay. do you have any surgeries? Have you ever had any major dental work? What's your visual system like? I may even look to see how their eyes move. Uh, and I'm really – I want to know – as much as I can. And, and the intake process is never just one session, right? It's kind of like over the course of working together, you learn about someone. And the biggest thing is, you know, what are your goals? I always start with people saying, what are your goals? And I say, everything and anything is relevant because even if it's not something that I can directly help you with, it's actually really important for me to know because I want to know what's going on in your life. Um, and, you know, people come in, they're like, I want to work on this emotional thing, this anxiety, but I also want to work on relationship issues. And I actually have this back pain that I want to work on too. And I'm like, cool, like, let's do as much of it as we can. So I get to know the person a little bit about their history, get to know their goals. And then from re there, really start to make a plan of how we can address it. And I tell them, look at first, we might end up trying a lot of things and we're going to see what sticks. And then once we know what's working for you, we can really go with that because now we've figured out what your nervous system likes, what is really benefiting it, and then we can start moving in that direction. Uh, like I said in the beginning, a lot of the biggest things for me are the basics, the eating, the sleeping, the breathing. And I don't necessarily do that with everybody, but I just want to get a general idea of you know how are you breathing and making sure that you're breathing properly. I think that's a really big thing is therapists will be like, okay, just take a long exhale, right? But it's like, hold up. If you're breathing through your mouth, if you're breathing into your chest, if your inhale is a lot longer than your exhale, it's going to be driving more anxiety in the body. So I want people to have a general understanding of how to breathe in a way that calms the nervous system down. We also do a lot of breath work to more act activate the nervous system, especially for people who might feel sluggish or low energy. So things like that, we talk about nutritional science, how to figure out what's what's right for your unique body because once again, no one size fits all when it comes to food. Uh, but yeah, and then really just figuring out going along with what they where they want to see change. Got it. No, that that's really cool. And it's just so it's just so interesting because it's so unconventional, I feel like. Mm -hmm. um, because I'll be like honestly, when I think of like social work, it makes me think of 
therapy and I think of like laying on a couch talking about feelings type, yes. <laughs> type, type movies type stuff like you see right meanwhile in my so office different. we're yeah no 100% meanwhile in my office we're like laying on the floor and rolling on the floor and like doing joint mobility and one of my biggest things is also is that I'm a very interactive therapist I don't know have you seen the tv show show shrinking on apple tv uh-huh. Okay, it just came out. It's really, really great. But it's about a therapist who's mourning the loss of his wife and he's kind of sitting in therapy sessions. He's like, F this. I'm just going to tell them what I'm thinking and I'm going to go out and do stuff. And multiple of my friends have texted me and they're like, Elise, you are like the guy on shrinking. And it's totally true because I do field trips with my patients. I have patients where we do sessions in coffee shops. We go out to eat. We play soccer. Uh, we go Whole Foods to go grocery shopping to Trader Joe's. You name it, like we do it because for me, there's only so much that can happen within the four walls of a therapy office or via Mm -hmm. Zoom because I work with people both ways in person and via Zoom. And therapy is really – I view therapy as like how do we really get you from point A to point B? Where do we – how do we get you to achieve your goals and become the person that you want to be and live the life you want to be? And Talking is great, but it only goes so far. Sometimes we need to do. We need to rewire the nervous system. We need to get you out there, out and about, facing your fears, like really jumping into the tough stuff that people sometimes are afraid to address. And then I'm there with them as their biggest cheerleader, guiding them and giving them the tools to help regulate their nervous system while we go face those scary things. So a lot of exposure therapies and also just making therapy more fun and enjoyable, right? I work with a lot of people who – I have some clients who have been through so much therapy and residential programs and tried everything. The last thing they want is to come and sit on a couch. You know, we got to have like a little bit of fun. So I really take that into consideration too because the relationship between the therapist and the client is the most important factor when it comes to healing. So I love that. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) I have fun with it. They have fun with it. and, And, you know, therapy isn't such a drain and a bore for them. No, that's, that's amazing. And I think I use the word amazing a lot, but it, but, but totally it truly can. is. <laughs> um, but with, I guess with that and to people that are like had the same way of thinking that I did, cause I, I just didn't know like that stuff like this existed. Like how, how does playing soccer in a therapy session help? Like, I guess that's kind of the, mindset where I'm like, how, how is it helping? How are you learning about them and how to help yeah. them? So I will say the one, the one client that I've played soccer with a few times was someone who a had been through an extensive amount of treatment at a, as, at a very young age, like wilderness programs, residential treatment, all these things. And mm. the last thing that she needed was a traditional therapy session. So really I started building rapport by playing her favorite sport. And with other clients, it's looked different. It might be uh, I personal train clients sometimes during our sessions to really like, A, if they want to learn more about their bodies and B, sometimes it's just to break down barriers, right? It's about trust. My biggest job is helping you to feel safe enough to share and be your authentic self. I've been in so many therapy sessions where I feel like I can't even tell my therapist something because I'm afraid they're going to judge me or they're going to say something I don't want to hear. And I need to create a space where there is a strong sense of rapport, there is a strong sense of trust and non-judgmentalness, if that's even a word, word. So being able to go do activities and make things a little bit more casual can help ease that situation. But with this particular client, you know, I played soccer last week because I had been doing a lot and I don't I'm not a soccer player but we had been doing so much hard work and I had been pushing her so exceptionally hard and I felt like rapport started to be broken a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "You know what?" She walked in. I said, "Keep your coat on. We're going out. We're not we're not doing therapy today." And we got, you know, went to the coffee shop, got her favorite drink and then kicked a soccer ball around and really it was more about lightening the mood and we still chatted, like we still engage in some therapy, but sometimes the report, sometimes we just need a little bit of a break, you know, like pump the brakes, let's ease up on this session before we keep going in future sessions and diving deeper. So it's more of a, it's also about 
thinking long-term, making sure that the rapport is there, this person isn't burning out on therapy. And that's really where the soccer mm-hmm. comes in. But then the soccer can come in in other fun ways too of like, let's actually use your brain. Let's challenge your brain by kicking the ball with your opposite foot. Or let's do things that are unconve- – let's play a sport that's a little bit different than you're used to because it's going to ch- challenge your brain in a different way. It's going to help you do something that makes you look silly or stupid sometimes, which is actually really great for self-esteem. So that's where you know engaging in these types of activities can really help the person change. I love that. And, and I think you're starting to touch on something that I think is really important. And I'm hoping that you can dive deeper on it. We have, I didn't, I didn't know I was going to even ask questions like this, but like the importance of like making yourself vulnerable. Like you were just talking about looking silly because you're doing like trying to kick a ball left footed or yeah. if you're right footed, that is like your opposite, your non-dominant leg or I was a baseball player trying to throw with your non-dominant hand. Like, how how important is it to put yourself out there to be vulnerable like that and feel like you're doing something wrong? I, I would feel like I was doing something wrong if I tried to throw a ball left-handed. Right, right. So the thing with – this is where confidence and self-esteem comes into play. And confidence is – and my my public speaking coach, performance coach, uh, Mickey Lazik, said this beautifully – uh, and I was like, I have to steal these these definitions. Confidence is your ability to take risk. Like how good are you at doing that thing that's hard? Self-esteem is your ability to handle taking that risk. How well do you do when you fail at that risk? So what is about kind of like taking the leap The other one is how you fall if that leap doesn't go well. And some people are really good at taking the leap when they know that they're not going to fall, right? They know that they're going to succeed. They're going to get that A. They're going to get that great review from their boss. And that usually, for me, usually means that the self-esteem part, how well you do at failing, isn't that strong. And that was me for a very, very long time. It actually was me until... I was in my late 20s, early 30s, where I actually became a personal trainer and learned how to fail. I was so terrified of failure because in my mind, even though this wasn't a direct correlation, I realized later on, I really thought that fail, like failing at something that meant that I was a failure and I couldn't tolerate what might come with that, the emotions that came up with that. Because it's really never about the actual failing. It's about the story you tell yourself about the failing and how you feel about yourself about the failing. So... In order to build really secure self-esteem, I believe this is like really my own work, like what I've done with my own work and my own research and, and, and that type of thing is you need to learn how to fail and you need to know that you are going to survive and you're going to be okay. So when you go out and look silly, like kicking a soccer ball with your non-dominant leg or going and take a dance class where you have no experience dancing, which is something that I did last year, uh, you you're learning how to fail and be with those emotions and be with that discomfort because for some people i don't know if you're familiar with inner child work have you heard that term before inner child it's very it's becoming like a hotter thing again you know these things like they cycle around but it's becoming a hotter hotter term again in practice and in psychotherapy your inner child is like that younger self that probably didn't get what it needed what he or she needed back then and when you know, I know that my inner child is being activated when I fail at something and I just want to go crawl into a ball and hide under the bed and like not let anyone see me. And I just have this immense sense of shame and and like almost too much vulnerability. Like Brene Brown calls it a vulnerability hangover. So when you learn how to fail and be okay with it and sit with those uncomfortable emotions and soothe yourself, that is really when the magic starts to change in the self-esteem. And you start to know that it's okay if I suck at this thing because it doesn't define me. It's not who I am. It's just something that I'm doing and I'm learning. So that's where doing these things, going out and playing soccer with, you know, the raw or playing a sport you've never played before and doing something that you've never done before and, and looking bad at it. It's such a great exercise in growth and in creating self-esteem. I, I absolutely love that because I can, so relate to kind of like that fear of failure 
Yeah. Um, it And it's a scary thing. And th- it leads me to the question, because I, I was writing it down, like, and you started going into it, like, how do you deal with the feel, the fear of failure? Mm-hmm. And it's putting, and it's essentially what I gathered from it was like putting yourself in situations to fail so that you can start learning to deal with it. But how to, to someone that's listening to this and like, they don't mm-hmm. have you, like they're not working with you because they're just now hearing them, hearing from you for the first time. Yeah. How, uh, what would you tell that person of like how to take the step to do something uncomfortable where they're most likely going to fail? Like, like yes. put me in a dance class. I'm going to fail. I have no mobility and no rhythm. Like it's a <laughs> recipe for disaster. Right, right, right. So the first thing is learning how to control your nervous system. Because when you are in those situations where you are interpreting the failure as really negative or really bad, like I said earlier, it's not really about the action. It's about our interpretation of the action. Mm-hmm. Our brain goes into survival mode. Right? How many times have you experienced something where you go up in public speak or you do something embarrassing and you stop breathing or you start to hyperventilate, you start sweating, your heart rate increases, and your brain just like kind of shuts down and you can't even think clearly. Like, are you are you familiar with what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's survival mode. That's anxiety. That's stress. So we're really, you know, we're in that situation. You're in the dance class and you're interpreting this as like, I look so stupid. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. And your brain goes, oh my gosh, I can't handle this. And it starts sending you signals like, get out, get out. Like you need to stop this. So the biggest thing is learning how to calm your nervous system. And when I work with people, I do that in many, many ways, right? A lot of people, a lot of therapists I think are like, meditate and breathe, meditate and breathe. Meditation Mm -hmm. and breathing, while they are amazing and I want all my clients to do them, not everyone can do it initially. Because if your nervous system is so amped up, the last thing you can do is sit there and like control your breathing. It's just not going to happen. So doing other things. I have a lot of tools that I use with people that activate their vagus nerve that can help calm them down. While I recognize that everyone has access these, to these tools, you can do things like humming or gargling to help activate your vagus nerve. Side note, the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve. It's the longest cranial nerve in the body. And when it's not working well, it can result in anxiety, depression, asthma, inflammation, headaches, uh, overeating, undereating. Like you name it, the vagus nerve is probably involved in any sort of what's called interoceptive awareness. So our body sense of awareness on the inside. So you can do humming and gargling. You can do all different types of breath work, right? So I teach my clients how to, first of all, how to breathe into their diaphragm and ideally through the nose. If you are really, really stressed out and your body is going into that state of survival mode with improper breathing, increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, breathing through your mouth is going to drive more anxiety. Breathing through your nose is going to allow the nervous system to calm down a bit and We want to get a nice long exhale. So when we breathe in, our brain sends a signal to our body to go into sympathetic tone, which is fight, flight, or freeze. When we exhale, our brain sends a signal to our body to go into parasympathetic or rest and digest. So the longer your exhale is, the more your body is in that parasympathetic state. So always tell people, try to breathe through your nose, into your diaphragm, and have a longer exhale than an inhale. So maybe you inhale for the count of three and you exhale for the count of five. Interesting. Um, yeah. So that's the biggest thing when it comes to nervous system regulation. Uh, you can, you know, there's all other things that you can do. You can do self-massage. You can roll on the floor. You can, you know, you, you can, I'm trying to think of other things that people can do on their own, but you could just move, right? Any sort of movement, any sort of bouncing uh, is going to help regulate your nervous system. I have, like I said, I have fun tools acting the nervous system. I have colored glasses, all these things. So learn how to start to regulate your nervous system. This may not bring, it may not eliminate, I do not expect it to completely eliminate any sort of anxiety that comes up when you're doing something uncomfortable. But if we can bring your nervous system down from like a nine to a six or seven in terms of, you know, intensity, we're doing something. Sure. So then you can go do that thing that's uncomfortable, but then at least start to calm your nervous system down a little bit, remind it that it's safe. 
that's all really great advice. And I'm personally, I'm sitting here thinking, cause like we were talking before, like I just had a child, like not even yes. three weeks ago. And so it, we're having this conversation and I'm thinking when it's three in the morning, baby screaming their head off, I'm getting overwhelmed. How, how can I think of like, breathe like what what are some cues that you give someone to kind of like snap them out of the i'm overwhelmed to okay i need i need to control myself right, any right. Advice? yeah well i always start with you know helping people just become aware of when they're going into that survival mode mm-hmm. so that's the first step usually i tell people like when people come to me and they engage in behaviors that they want to change i just say this week your only job is to track when you're engaging in that behavior or your body is responding in a certain way. So because the first step to changing it is just paying attention to it and noticing it. So really it would be, you know, now that you're aware of my body's going into this state every time, you know, my baby's crying at 3 a.m. and I have to get up, just start to take note of it. Okay, it happened. I'm noticing my blood pressure rising. I'm noticing my heart rate increase. Just take note and you can, you know, write, make notes if you want. And then, you know, because you don't want to overload the system. You don't want to be like, okay, I have to do my deep breathing every time this happens. You want to just start taking note of the actions and behaviors and what's happening. And then from there, build upon it. Okay. Now, every time I notice that happening, I'm going to pause and I'm going to do 60 seconds of uh, self-massage. There's this really awesome eye massage that I teach people that they love and it really helps reduce anxiety. So something like that, an eye massage, a self-massage. I'm just going to slow down my breathing. I'm going to lay on the floor. I'm going to bounce up and down. I'm going to do something to disrupt the habits or the patterns that keep coming up for me every time the situation arises. So now we're creating, this is like where the neuroplasticity happens. Now we're starting to create change in the brain. The brain is not doing the same thing that it always used to do. Then over time, you start to really act these behaviors and these new behaviors and actions into your daily routine to the point where the brain has now created new neural pathways and understands that it's not going back to the old habits. You now have a new way of dealing with the situation. Interesting. Yeah. No, I, I and, think that's super helpful, actually. Yeah. And that's how you rewire your nervous system over time. That's how I rewired my nervous system. And Unfortunately, it takes a long time. I'm not, if you have years and years, like I'm someone who has years and years of chronic stress and anxiety to the point where my my hormones really, you know, they got depleted. Like I really depleted my cortisol, my progesterone. And it does, if you've done it for years, like decades, like I have, like, like two, you know, three decades since the beginning of my life when that I, that I have, it does take a while to change and replenish. Because the longer we've been engaging in these habits, the more they are instilled in our nervous system. So it does take patience. It does take time. I think my healing journey, the biggest lesson I've learned is patience. You know, because in the beginning, I was like, I just want to be off all the meds and I just want to have this fixed. And I went, and it's like, okay, actually, I've been at chipping away at this for a few years now. And like, I'm really mm-hmm. starting to finally see major nervous system change. And the other thing is, is that people come back to me and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm having such a bad week. My sleep is terrible. My food is terrible, blah, blah. I'm engaging in old habits. Yes. The brain likes the path of least resistance. So in cases of extreme stress, of extreme what I call the stress bucket being filled up completely and overflowing, your brain is going to go back to old habits, even if you haven't engaged in those for a really long time. So a lot of the work I do with people is A, Understanding how the nervous system works, right? Because if you understand that, you're not going to beat yourself up so much. And B, okay, let's figure out what we can do, small things to start to bring you back to, you know, that that healthier, happier place in life. And recognizing that healing is not a upward trajectory. It, it goes like this, you know, it goes up. It, hopefully the whole, you know, you are going in an upward motion, but it's going to be up and down. And that's, that's just life. Our nervous system is constantly changing and adapting and we're doing different things and eating different foods or in, exposed to different toxins in our environment and our body is constantly trying to heal itself. So we have to recognize that just because you're having a quote unquote bad day or a bad experience or your body is not, healing doesn't feel good. Did you know that, right? Like when right. you're detoxing from a cold and you're 
you know, blowing your nose of snot and you are, you know, have a temperature, it's because your body is trying to heal itself and it doesn't feel good, but then you feel a lot better afterwards. So same thing with emotional healing too. It doesn't, it's not always pretty, you know? Man. No, that makes, yeah. that makes total sense. And I think you're one thing that you're really hit the nail on the head on that end on the end of it was it's not linear and it takes a lot of patience for overall healing. And yes. I think that's something to really, that you probably have to drive home a lot to your patients. Yeah. It's because people want to know like, how long is it going to take? And believe me, I'm studying these tools because I want to get you there as fast as possible. But I also want it to be sustainable. You know, I want it to be long lasting. And it depends on the situation, right? Some people come to me three sessions. They're like, okay, the issue I came from is better. And I'm like, amazing. That's awesome, right? My goal is to get you out the door. You don't need to be here forever. Mm -hmm. You don't need to depend on this work together. But that being said, if you have really long-term stuff, I mean, I have been doing this holistic healing. I started at 30. I'm now almost 35. You know, and 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 it has taken a long time to get where I am today, and I still have a lot of stuff to do. You know, Alina and I were on the phone this morning, and she's like, "You got to do this detox. You got to do this. You got to do that." And and we're talking about her detoxing, and and um, yeah, there's still a lot to do, and it's never you're never gonna. And I said this on another podcast interview. I said, "The day I finally said f it, I'm not gonna wait until I'm off my medication. I'm not gonna wait till my life feels good to be happy. That's where the biggest change happened because." The reality is, is stuff is going to happen all the time, right? You're going to, you're, you're going to go out there and you're going to get injured maybe, and you're going to, you know, you maybe get sick and you're never going to be at a place in your health where it is a hundred percent perfect. That is impossible. But we do want to get you to a place where your nervous system feels safe, where for the most part you are pretty physically and emotionally healthy and your day-to-day life feels easy. You feel like you're in the flow and then other stuff might come out. If your every day feels like like a nightmare, which for me it did for so long, then it might take a little bit more time to get there, you know, to get to a place where you feel like you're thriving and you're in the flow and you feel good. But that's really the goal is to get there and that, you know, the the rougher days are farther and few between. And immediately when you said it, I knew I had to ask like this question of like Yes. With this Give me like the most concise version of this answer you can, because I'm sure it could take a really long answer. But like, what got you to the point where you finally said F it? Like that realization, Uh, I suppose. Yeah. And and while you, while you think, while you think about it, because I didn't, didn't know I was going to ask that. Like, no, it's a great question. Yeah. Prefacing it is like, I think, without anybody like you don't know it until you know it but that's the point you want to get to is mm-hmm. where you're just like f it and you just do do the thing or do whatever you it's it's a yes. light bulb moment whatever it is yes so i remember so i used to run to bellevue hospital every morning because it was my only way out of the, it was my only way out of burnout i mean it was crazy what i was doing but it was my only way to survive i was so addicted mm-hmm. to stress hormones that I needed, I needed movement in the morning. And I still today, I do think that movement in the morning is is really beneficial for most people. It just doesn't have to be a three and a half mile run with a giant backpack on your back, regardless of the weather. It did teach me a lot of mental toughness, I will say that. But also sure it, did. My, it, it it burned out my cortisol. So it's good and bad. It was good and bad. But I remember being so burnt out and so depressed, but running to work and still being like, wow, I'm running through New York City to the most famous psychiatric institution really in the world yeah. where I get to work even though it's miserable and I don't feel good, but it's really exciting. Like it's really cool that I get to do this. Like, right? It's like the dream. Like how many people move to New York City to achieve? I mean, most people move here to achieve other things. They don't plan to work at Bellevue Hospital, but right? It's like, this is so badass. And that's really when my mindset started to shift. And another thing is that my coach at the time, my very, very dear friend, Teresia, who got me, really started me on this holistic journey. She said to me one day, she goes, don't stop taking everything so seriously. 
And like everything in my life was so serious all the time. And that's that's like a product of like your upbringing, right? Inherited family trauma, how you view the world. When you're in a survival mode, everything feels serious because your brain is only really looking for the negative stuff. It's only really searching for the things that are going to kill you, right? Theoretically, right? Like you're always looking yeah, for the yeah. negative, you know? So she said that I was like, don't take everything. Don't take everything so seriously, huh? You know, like, what does that look like if I don't take everything so seriously? Right. And, and that, yeah, and that's, that is where things change. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm on this run and this is really cool and I'm going to this hospital and it's really cool. And, and then I was like, okay, you know what? Like, I have a good life. Like, I'm very, very blessed. I have, as much as they drive me crazy, I love them, my family. I have my family. I have amazing friends in New York City. I have been exposed to some of the most brilliant minds in the health and wellness mm fitness industry. And okay, so I don't always feel good. And I wake up in the mornings and I'm like, damn, I don't want to get up. I don't want to go to work. I don't feel good. But I also have such great things happening for me. So that's that's where it was like, okay, just flip your mindset. Stop focusing on the future. Stop fo- focusing on when this, you know, what if I don't have this anymore? Or the day that I get off my medication, things will be better. Like, no, stay in the present moment and really appreciate what is here right now. I absolutely love that and couldn't agree more and for and i think also and please correct me if i'm wrong like for anyone listening to this and getting to that point we talked we meaning you talked about patience earlier getting to that getting to that effort point takes time it's more than likely not going to happen from just listening to this hour podcast to where you're like i i need to say effort yes you do but the actual act of doing it is so much harder and yes I, I still need to do it. You're it's like, it's like I was meant to have this interview today with everything that's going on. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. (laughs) Things happen like that. Right. Where it's just like, you're supposed to learn. And don't get me wrong. I'm not great at patience either. I've become better at it, but I'm still Mm -hmm. very impatient when it comes to doing the healing stuff. You know, like I want the thing to be fixed now. Who doesn't, you know, who doesn't want their issue to go away ASAP. So but I guess I've I've gotten better at catching myself when I think that way and just go, okay, Elise, it's going to take time. It's okay. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy life right now, you know, and still have this it. problem. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, the, yeah. The goal is to always feel good. It, it doesn't – it sucks to not feel good. But, you know, you could still go do things to help live – you know, still live your life in a way that – you know, you're still doing, engaging in activities that bring you joy, even if you don't feel great, that's, mm-hmm. that's important. Absolutely. And because, because we've gotten a little bit, like, I didn't think I was going to get super personal on this episode, but oh, that's fine. we did with, yeah, I love yeah we did with the fear of failure stuff. And I want to ask you, cause I think, cause something I'm doing also uh, with this podcast is doing some mini sodes and kind of talk small episodes of talking about like the experience of in my, in my shoes, I was the support person of my wife who was having a child. And like, I feel like there's not a whole lot of conversation that happens from my side. It's a lot of, and rightfully so what the woman's going through with uh, pregnancy and child labor and birth and all of that. Right. But, but there's not a lot of like that support person. I say support person because not everyone's the spouse, not everyone, everybody's situation is different. Um but I wanted to ask you because some, uh, the type of personality that I am, and I think it's very common, is like I'm a fixer. Like there's a problem, let me fix it. Yeah. My wife, my wife is having contractions. I can't fix it. <laughs> like, but and, and that's one example. But like, what would you tell someone like me who is going through a lot of things? And I'm going through it still because like we're we're breastfeeding. Guess what? I can't breastfeed my baby. So. <laughs> I want, but it's also like, it's three in the morning. I want my wife to sleep um, yeah. because she's also not like, but I, you have, you have to, if you want the pro- the problem has to be solved, like baby's clean, baby's pooped, whatever. Yeah. Um, but like, what would you tell that person that like myself that's like, I'm a, there, I'm a fixer, but I can't fix everything. Yes. How does someone yeah. like that deal with that? So a lot of fixing is more of the masculine energy. So we all have mm. components of the masculine and feminine energy in us, whether you mm. identify, you know, however, however you identify. Yeah. Um, and fixing and doing and providing 
and the hustling, that is a very masculine energy. Whereas the feminine energy is more of a receiving and kind of like surrendering and relaxing and going with the flow. So it's only natural that you want to fix things, right? Especially given the situation that you're in, you know, you're, you have a family now, you know, you, well, you you know, you have a child now and you want to make yeah. sure your wife is taken care of and you want to make sure that your child is taken care of. So wanting to fix it is, it makes sense. Like that is how you, that's how you're, you're, you're operating because you want mm-hmm. things, everyone to be healthy and happy. So in those situations, I would say, recognizing, like we said earlier, changing behaviors and habits, the first thing is recognizing that quality and and maybe going more into, as weird as it sounds, like maybe going more into the feminine energy of like, okay, I'm actually here for support because there isn't much that I can do in this moment to fix it and, and get the problem gone. But can I quote unquote fix it in other ways? Can I provide support in in other ways? Can I actually just catch myself in that energy of wanting to fix it? And in that case, maybe do some some breath work or some of the other exercises that we talk about, like the vagus nerve stimulation of the gargling and the humming and uh, self massage and calming the body down. Because it is important to be able to balance both. It is important to be able to go into that fix-it mode, but also be able to recognize when you're powerless. Is that is, is an interesting lesson you have to learn right now, actually, right. like that it's yeah. like, oh my gosh, I want to fix it all the time. And and like for me, that's a struggle too. Like I actually spent most of my life more in the masculine energy because I was constantly going, going, going and trying to fix And now I'm trying to go into the, okay, the somatic work and going with the flow mm. and calming my nervous system down and repair and recovery. So being aware of it, like you said, is is awesome. And maybe it is about you being able to learn how to slow it down and adjust and adapt and, and go more into that flow in those states and just be more of the emotional support to your wife while she takes care of this other, you know, this other human being that, that you know, you brought into this world. Yeah, no, and I love that. And it's like, it's like knowing the answer, but still need to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and, and that is the hardest part is like in the masculine energy and the wanting to fix it. And it's the recognition that you're getting to and kind of what I took from is like, I have to fix it by letting someone else fix it. Mm-hmm. Like, and that and that is very difficult very difficult it, it is very difficult yes especially if you are in that more masculine energy and and really you know and it it serves a huge purpose right because it gets you to where you are it, it gets mm-hmm. you you know bringing in you know resources to your family and taking care of your family and providing for them so it's it's an important that's why both i always say you know things are not black and white it's not mm-hmm. all good and all bad i said earlier on in the podcast if you're engaging in quote unquote maladaptive behaviors. Like if you're, you know, overeating or you have a shopping addiction or you're doing stuff that you just don't, you you know is not serving you long term. It's not aligned with your values. It's still serving a purpose right now. Your brain is doing it for a reason and it's a survival mechanism. So recognizing that it's not all good and bad and you're not broken. Your brain is just trying to survive. And we need, we need, we need like we need both the go, 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 let me fix it. And we also need the retreating and calming as well. I love and, it. Yeah. I love and, it. Yeah. And when, and just another thought is like when you're yeah. not balanced and you're not, and you're, you're too much in one and not in the other, that's really when there, this is imbalance happens in the nervous system of, of, you know, more output than input or more input than output. So, starting to really like do both, right? You work out. I love, are you familiar with Paul Check? Do you know who he is? I'm not. Okay. Uh-uh. He's one of my favorite educators, especially in the fitness and health and industry, you know, the fit, fitness, health, holistic healing world. And he talks about working out, but he also talks about working in. And uh-huh. he says if there's too much working out and, you know, you have a background as a trainer too, and mm-hmm. not enough working in, there's not enough recovery. There's an imbalance. And working in is meditation, breath work, um, 
stuff like Tai Chi or what he calls zone exercises that are more calming on the nervous system that, that give to the nervous system and replenish the nervous system as opposed to exhausting and outputting the nervous system. We need both. We need to work. You know, working out is healthy, but we have to work right. into. So, you know, that that idea, that concept of making sure you have both so there is a good energy balance and you don't become uh, unbalanced. Uh, that's super interesting. And it's something I've, I guess I've thought of, but never heard. And it's so such a simple phrase of workout and work in. Yeah, right? And- Yes. I didn't know it until like last awesome. month. Yeah. I until really? I taking, yeah, until I started taking his holistic lifestyle coaching level one course. I was like, working in. What is this? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's good stuff. And with that leading in, and we are getting closer, close-ish to time. So I have like two more questions for you yeah. before we wrap up. And and the one of them is like that working in part because I want to talk about and it's kind of been the subject of our entire interview of taking care of your inner self. Mm -hmm. But I want to talk about more in depth of like that balance of there's because where I'm coming from and you, you saw it as a personal trainer or have seen and probably continue to see it. I'm not in the personal training world anymore, but saw it all the time of like people that work out twice a day, seven days a week, like, and don't take care of themselves on the inside. Like how I want to talk about how important that balance is to long-term health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, I was running to work every day (laughs) and I was also, you know, I wasn't doing two workouts a day, but I was also weightlifting on my days off and Mm -hmm. I was never working in like working in felt so uncomfortable to me. I mean, I didn't know the term. It does to me as well. Yeah, it's really hard to it's really hard to engage in meditation and breath work when your mm. mind and body are so in the grind. It's really because it feels unsafe. Because if your nervous right. system doesn't know how to slow down, slowing down doesn't feel good. That's why you hear people say meditation doesn't make me feel good. It actually makes me feel worse. Not not always. It's very rare that that happens, but it totally does. I, I get that a lot. And that used to be me. And, you know, there, our body, when we're constantly working out, when we're constantly doing, 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 our body depletes itself, right? We deplete magnesium reserves. We deplete our cortisol reserves. And because our brains try, our, our brain uses these resources to function, and then we start to create a major imbalance in the nervous system and, and our hormones become out of whack and our minerals and vitamins also become out of whack. And, and it gets to a place where sometimes it doesn't matter. You can take as many high-quality vitamins and minerals and supplements as you want. And God knows I, my cabinet is filled with <laughs> endless amounts of supplements. But if you don't change the lifestyle, if you don't do the working in, if you don't do the recovery and the repair – which includes somatic work and we didn't even talk about that, but somatic work and Mm -hmm. and meditation and calming and zone exercises and Tai Chi and those types of things. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be all those things. It's the things that really work for you. Yeah. The nervous system can't really replenish itself. Like it's not going to be able to do much with those, all those supplements and and vitamins that you're taking. So do you have any any other thoughts or specific questions around it that I didn't, I didn't touch on? No, I think, you hit the nail on the head. And I think the end of this conversation is like, we need to have more, like yes. we need to have you on for another episode and talk more about those different modalities, those different ways of, cause I'm, cause you mentioned like people that feel worse after meditate or yeah. when trying to meditate. And I don't, I, I personally don't feel worse, but mm-hmm. I don't feel better. Like, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm wasting time. Like that's, yes. that's what I'm feeling. Yes, yes, yes. That is a very co- me too. Me too yeah. for a long time. No, and I would love I would love to come back for part two and discuss this because I've worked with a somatic therapist now for two years, and it wasn't until the last few months where I actually was like, yes, I get to lay down and meditate for the next ninety minutes. Before it was like, oh, I could be doing so many better things during this ninety yes. minutes. You know, and I still catch myself feeling that way too of like, oh, I should meditate. No, maybe I'll uh, scroll on Instagram and TikTok instead. Yeah, exactly. That feels more useful. Yeah, so it's definitely a great topic that that we could totally dive into more. 
Yes, I definitely want to have you back soon and yes. dive into that. But I did have like one final question before we kind of sign off. And yes. and but it's very broad. So like people have been listening to us ramble on for about an hour now. But if you want if you want them to have one take home message, like if they don't hear <laughs> anything else, they hear this. What what yeah. would that be? It would be going along the lines of what we've been talking about is you are not broken. If you are sitting here listening to us talk and you're like, I'm struggling with this and that or, or whatnot, or I want to improve things in my life, you're not broken and it is not a impossible thing to change and do because your system will adapt with the work. You know, and that's that's really the the amazing thing about functional neurology is, you know, Dr. Cobb, my instructor, he calls it the science of hope. Is that if we can get you doing one pain-free rep for the first time, maybe you have knee pain for seven years and we get you to do a squat for the first time with no pain, even if the pain comes back after that, you've taught your brain that there is a potential and possibility for you to do one pain-free rep, which means that you can do it again. And we just need to get your nervous system to feel safe enough again over and over and over to the point where you're doing squats without any knee pain at all. And the same thing goes for mental health. You know, if you are anxious all the time, but we can get you to have one day or one hour or even three minutes where you feel really good, your brain is now knowing like, oh, this is a possibility and we can get you there. So that would be my biggest thing to to take away from today's conversation. I love that. And I've said that throughout this entire conversation because I've loved every bit of what we've talked about today. And I think it's so important and it's a conversation that's not had enough. Yes. And in our go, go, go instant gratification society. Totally. It is not. It is not. And, and it is something I'm actively working on. You know, I'm not, I am no specialist or expert in it yet, but mm -hmm. just doing the work. Perfect. And so I do, unfortunately, I'm, we're going to have to close, yes. but I, I want to give you the opportunity like to kind of tie a bow on it. If people want to continue this conversation with you, if they want to work with you, if they want to follow your journey, they want to learn more about you, all the things, how can they get yeah. in touch? How can they learn more, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So they can definitely, are you, can you share, you can share some resources uh, linked to the Absolutely. episode. It'll be in the description yes. and it'll be, if anyone watching on YouTube, any link will pop up underneath you. Amazing. Amazing. So you can find me at my website, uh, nerdy therapy, but N-E-U, like neurology, nerdytherapy.com or uh, my name, Elise Shunkowitz, lcsw.com. That's a little bit longer. It's the same website. Um, I'm on Instagram and TikTok. So I'm under nerdy therapist with the same spelling, N-E-U-R-D-Y. Uh, and yeah, I, I always invite, you know, feedback or questions. If anyone wants to email me, send me a message. Uh, whatever it is, if if there's something that you know spoke to you on the web in the podcast, and you want to talk about maybe working together one on one, please feel free to to contact me. I have a a link on my website to also schedule a consultation call. And yeah, I I, I love working with people. I love meeting new people who are interested in this work, and and it's it's really fun. You learn a lot about your nervous system. You learn a lot about your your brain and your mind and your body, and to to make change. So please, please reach out with any questions or, or comments. Perfect. And then I know you mentioned it earlier. And then I had a question that we hadn't talked about. So it's if people are wanting to work with you, do, do you accept insurances? And do you do virtual online? Mm -hmm. So I am licensed in New York, New Jersey and Pennsylvania. That being okay. said, I do do coaching virtual. I do coaching uh, nationwide and, and worldwide even. So if people are in one of those three states and they want to work in the therapy capacity, they can, I'm out of network, but I can give them a super bill. And if they have out of network benefits with the insurance, uh, they can get money back from that. And I walk through everyone through that system. Um, and uh, so that is one option. And then yes, I have an office in Manhattan, 
that I see people in person and then I work virtually with people as well. I would say my practice is about 50-50 in person and and virtual. Perfect. So anyone can work with you if they want to. Yes, yes. And also I am starting to do some work with people in Florida. If anyone is in the Miami, Boca, South Florida area, I am down there rather frequently and and we'll work with people like virtually but then meet with them in person every so often. Um, and yeah, and I'm going to be starting some group work as well for people who are interested in in more group group uh, work and and things like that. That's amazing. And you're doing such amazing work and I want you to want you to know that I mean, I didn't know anything about what you did before today, but I can tell you that you're helping people and it's truly amazing and to keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And, and it was such a pleasure being here. I, I look forward to coming back on and, and thank you very, very much for having me and all the amazing questions. For sure. And I can't wait to have you back on. Um, but Elise, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Someone that you didn't know and now we're going to be friends. Yes, <laughs> definitely. But I want to say thank you one more time, and I want us to say bye to the people. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 13 of the Helpful Huddle podcast, where we interviewed Elise Shunkwitz about functional neurology. Remember to give us a like and a follow on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter with the user handle at helpful underscore huddle and the YouTube channel at helpful huddle podcast. You are also able to listen to us on both Spotify and Apple Podcast. The links are found in the description below. Please reach out with your questions on topics that you would like to learn about in the future.